Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Tash. And I'm Damo. And together we are so excited to bring you this week's episode of The, the Barrett, Barrett Chronicles. Chronicles. Okay. So we're here with Dr. Callista. Hello. I hope I got that right. Got that right. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so, so thrilled to have you today. Thank you for making the time. Easy. It's a pleasure. So uh, you you run... Capital, Capital Metabolic Clinic. Yes, I do. In the ACT. Yes. So could you tell us a little bit about that? I guess while surgery is very effective, um, I think if we are subscribing to the philosophy that obesity is a disease, there are many facets of obesity that are not treated by surgery. Agreed. And um, patients need yes. to feel quite vulnerable after having an operation and going through um, the steps and processes of weight loss, of finding your new identity, finding a new relationship with um, food that's not negative and detrimental and starting to care for yourself um, after such a big event. I wanted my patients to have all of that in the one place. And I knew that a barrier to care would be referral to other specialists or other care providers that may not have the same philosophies as myself and my bariatric physician. So we decided to collaborate with um, a psychologist, uh, Chris Thompson, and two um, dietitians from Canberra Allied Health. And we provide um, services from a single place. I guess absolutely love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really love it too, and I think the patients have responded very positively to that. Um, I feel like it really breaks my heart when I see patients um, for the first or second time, and um, obviously we're in a artificial environment where they have to be vulnerable with me and tell me um, their medical history and tell me their experiences, the surgeons they've seen before, or the surgeries they've had before, or the doctors who treated them before. And it's, yeah. it's quite appalling um, how the medical fraternity treats patients who live with obesity. Um, they're really treated like it's a failure yeah, in their character. And it's, it's just appalling. I do not accept that as a standard of care at all. And um, if if you have thank you thank you oh, no worries no it's it's a basic human right everyone needs to be treated with respect and if you have a disease and you're going to a practitioner you need to feel like they're caring for you and they understand the disease not that they're on their high yes. horse talking about you know energy in energy out or whatever antiquated science scientific ideas or non-scientific ideas that they have so if they feel comfortable with me in this space, then they should feel comfortable seeing other practitioners I collaborate with. So we're just trying to disarm them and make them feel safe. I love that. I really do. And you're, you're just so, so right when it comes to how, well, I know for myself how I was treated um, prior to my weight loss surgery, the types of, um, of dreadful, awful experiences that I that I personally had and the barrier that it um, it certainly created when it came to having weight loss surgery and how terrified I was 
just even of that initial consultation. Um, so well done to removing those barriers and making it easier for people. You know, that it, it really, it changes lives. It really does in the longer term yeah. as well. 100%. And I think it's it's hard to appreciate, like if you're a patient and you've been living this way for so long, um, when I see my patients at three months and their diabetes is gone or their high blood pressure is gone, like they're just astounded. I think most patients yes. want to have the surgery so that they're not mentally tortured by people around them. They just want to escape that. They just want to feel comfortable, they want to feel yeah. safe, and they just want to exist, yes. you know, without bias. And it's, it's yeah. so sad. I'm like, girl, no, look at this. Your diabetes is gone, girl. You are going so good. Like, this is why we're doing yeah. it. And the, yeah, but you, you, are, you are so right, though. All we, I know when, when I had my surgery, because I had gastric bypass five years ago, but I, I never expected to get to the size that I'm that I'm at now. Yeah. But all all I wanted was to be able to live my life in the world and not feel like every day I was being judged yes. on the basis of something that I physically could not change without help. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that that, that was all yeah. that I wanted was just to be able to go about my life not and not have insults or not have all of the stigma that was associated with with having a larger body at that time it's just shocking so it's just shocking yeah it is it is but what she said is so true when when you see those little and and they're of course not not little to us but you know when when we see our high blood pressure go away or we see you know the the diabetes in remission and all of those things it is just so life-changing it really is yeah i'm i'm so glad you took the plunge it's not for everyone obviously and everyone's in different parts no. of their journey but yeah you look very happy and and you look healthy from this end of the camera yeah so i'm i'm glad you did it yeah yeah, I mean, look, it's been it's been a challenge. I, I I have had challenges, but I'm so glad. I'm so so glad that I did it. And I what I love is that you you do have that whole team um, to support people. Yeah, because I think that we can sometimes just get brave enough to have the surgery, but then there's the life that comes after. Yes, and and I really did need help with that. I think and it's I a think lot of stumbling. Yeah, if you don't have all of that, yeah, yeah, because it can be so hard to find a GP that will be on board with you, and then it's hard to find a psychologist that's on board with weight loss surgery. Yeah, to to have that all in one spot where someone can go and just feel safe. Absolutely, yeah, I think that's so special. Thank you. If I can ask, what what brought you to doing weight loss surgery? Yeah, of course you can ask that. Was there something? That... Um, I think it started out, I didn't do medicine with the intention of wanting to be a surgeon. Um, I think I was drawn to neurology at first and um, I attended some lectures and 
sat in with some neurologists and I thought that was where I was going to go. Um, but as a medical student, I scrubbed in with, and I still remember who it is. It's with Professor Smith, Ross Smith at um, North Shore Hospital. And um, I was with him from midday until midnight. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. We were doing a liver resection and and I was just with him the whole time and helping him as best as I can uh, and trying not to be a hindrance. And when we scrubbed out, he said, do you, do you like surgery? Like, actually. And I said, I think so. Gosh. And it just went on from there. So um, yeah. in surgery, liver, pancreas, and esophagus and stomach were one fraternity for a long time. And um, due to volume, so a surgeon becomes better when they're doing more of the same thing over and over again. The college decided to split. Mm-hmm. So you have um, hepatobiliary in one end and esophagogastric in the other. And um, I liked yeah. both, but I started to get more and more opportunities in esophagogastric surgery. So I was going down that path. And then I had to make a decision if um, I wanted to do cancer surgery of the esophagus or if I wanted to do benign esophagogastric um, surgery. So when the opportunity came up to go to the Austin, um, I took it because it was esophagogastric like cancer as well as um, being the bariatric fellow. So I kind of stumbled into it, if I'm being honest. But when I... When I got into it and I started attending clinics and talking to patients, it was something that I struggled with as well because I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, I only look like this because I'm on medication and it's something that's predetermined. My sister has it. Grandmother had diabetes. So, yeah, like it's, it's not, you did. <laughs> so when I was talking to my patients, I felt like I, I get, I get this. You know, and it was just because the stars aligned. I yeah. guess I'm not going to say that I had a vision and I worked towards it. And you know, this is because I'm so special, etc. It it wasn't. It wasn't like that at all. So I kind of just followed my interests one by one, and then this is where I ended up. Yeah. And I, I read on your profile that um, that you mentor now and and uh, other uh, women that are coming through becoming surgeons and I love and that, that too. Yeah. I, I, I'm really excited about that because I love uh, I had back surgery just after I'd had um, weight loss surgery mm-hmm. and my, my neurosurgeon um, she was the only surgeon that would see that, that would, would see that him. would see me and oh. Actually, just before I had weight loss surgery, I had a neurosurgeon tell me he wouldn't waste his prodigious skills on someone as fat as me. Oh, and and I was just heartbroken, and I was in so much pain. And I sent all these emails out one night when I couldn't sleep, and one surgeon replied, and it was uh, a neurosurgeon in Brisbane, and she was just so beautiful and so caring and when she actually got my record she's like I want to see you next week I'm admitting you and we're doing surgery this is really bad and it was the first time that I ever felt like I'd been listened to Mm. um and it wasn't just your your back's hurting because you're fat it was um you've got uh ruptured discs and you've got uh, compressed nerves and you've got 
all this. And mm. I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's not all just in my head and I'm not going crazy <laughs> because I'd been told that if I lost the weight, all the pain would go away. And within four months I'd lost 50 kilos and the pain was getting worse. And, you know, so so I, I love it when I go into a theatre and I, I have a, a female surgeon because, you know, it's just different. To me it's different. Yeah, it's um yeah. there there are many well, not many, but there are more publications now demonstrating that female surgeons have lesser complications and have better patient satisfaction and women die less and have less complications with women surgeons. So Wow. Yeah. That's why it's important. That's amazing. I didn't know that. <laughs> and this is not yeah. some, you know, backwater yeah. journal with its first publication. This is like in nature. So it's a very well vetted yeah. like journal. So and it's funny because wow. you know, College of um surgeons, um, they do the selection for future surgeons and they always give me the impression that they want someone who looks like them. And I wondered what the utility of that was. Like, what is the point? If you don't have mm. surgeons who are people also mm. and a representative of the patients that you're going to treat, what is the point? And, and I can see with, with you, you, you're willing to advocate for other people as well. I'm 100%. And yeah. I, I just find that really special. I would 100% advocate for my mm. even Even willing to share with us. I mean, but even willing to share with us your, your own struggle with, um, you know, with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Uh, it's, it's just such a, it's just so relatable that you yeah. that you'd be willing to even mention that so thank you it's it's a pleasure because it it is absolutely 100 percent just, just something that um that that is relatable and it makes it i know i know people will feel seen yeah absolutely and and understand that hey um our, our surgeons are incredible but but you you are still fundamentally people just like we are Exactly. And I think this is where um, there's like a lot of unhappiness and a lot of lawsuits, right? Because um, the surgeons come off as we are holier than thou. We are amazing. These are our, our prodigious skills. And then if something like unexpected happens or complication happens, then the bitterness is felt by the patient, you know? Like you made me feel unimportant yeah. and you did yeah. this to me. But the reality is no one is that good and life happens and complications happen. Yeah. It's how you react to it that makes the difference. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. So which surgery is your favourite? Well, wait, do, do you have a favourite procedure uh, to perform? I like, um, I like challenging surgery for sure. And they're all challenging in different ways. Yeah. Um, I do like bypass surgery and I'm hoping to bring um, yeah. the switch or the SETI to Canberra soon, like maybe in a year or so. Um, I just feel like we need to find our feet as a practice. Um, but um, once we have, then I'm definitely keen to learn more about that. I also like 
um, laparoscopic hernia surgery, um, but like the complex stuff. And I, I do abdominoplasties as well for my patients. And it's just the things that make a difference oh, wow. yeah, to their life. Like I, I really like doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It really, that, that really does make such a massive, massive difference because I mean, as we know, plas- like plastics and plastic surgeons are you know wonderful, but um, it's, it's such an expensive, yeah. expensive surgery. Uh, I know I've had, I, I have had plastics um, and I've had, I had to have two revisions as well mm. um and it was only probably that that my revisions were included in my initial fee that i was able to have those Absolutely. um but i know i know that some weight loss, weight loss surgeons do actually perform tummy tucks for their patients and that's just excellent that's so wonderful it is i try and, and life-changing yeah, it really is life-changing because you know what we talked about earlier about trying to escape um the constant judgment mm. of living in a bigger body like the excess skin is the last thing to go and it's that is that becomes your constant reminder even though you you're not getting the judgment from people around you anymore but then you see yourself in the mirror and then you're punishing yourself still which is very sad but it is it's true yes. it is what it is like you've lived in that body for so long and you're trying to reconcile what you look like now and the excess skin that you have and it weighs it weighs heavily yeah so i'm i'm happy to do yeah, small things like does. like that i don't do arms and legs because like let's be honest i'm an abdominal surgeon yeah. and a plastic surgeon would do a better job so i yeah. i just don't do what i'm not good at but the abdominal plastics i think are not too bad in yeah. my hands so i do what i can sometimes going into weight loss surgery we mm-hmm. sort of Look, we, we look at the surgeon, we're researching. That's only a small part of changing our life, though. 100%. Um, and, and that's what I realised after mine was that I was still, no, no matter how much weight I lost, I'd think, oh, I'll be happy when I lose another five kilos. Yeah. I'll be happy when I look. And I wasn't. And I really needed that, um, the, mental the mental health stuff, yeah. uh, to realise that, I was trying to look, find happiness from other people instead of myself. Absolutely. It's, it's so difficult. And we try and, um, I ask my patients weights. I don't make them weigh themselves when they come in to my rooms and we only weigh when we really have to. So when we're monitoring acute weight loss, when they come to the patient, I know we don't weigh unnecessarily and we don't measure unnecessarily. And I, and I don't go with my patients to the weighing machine. I say, you go and you tell me. Yeah. Yeah, Because that is a little bit disrespectful. I think like, like you don't trust your patient going there. What are the numbers? You know, like I'll go there if there's an issue with the weighing machine and I'll help. But otherwise it's like, you tell me. Because the only one, the yeah. only person you're cheating is yourself if you're not telling me the truth. So I'm happy to work yeah. with, yeah. with whatever number you give me. Um, when you, when you said about the switch, um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested, um, just around the, because uh, we we don't really have a whole lot of it mm. um, in Australia. Yes, at the moment. 
And um, we've heard that the outcome for people that ha- that are diabetic can be better. Yes. With the switch. Yes. That's a big one. Oh yeah. Why? Why is that? It's big. Um, when I had my sleeve, and this was nine and a half years ago, uh, and I'd, I'd lost fifty kilos in in four months, and and I was actually insulin dependent, type two diabetic, mm. and I was on three hundred and fifty units of insulin a day. That's and a big amount. My blood was still out of yeah. control. It was huge, mm. and within six months. I'd been discharged from the diabetes clinic. And at the time they actually said to me, you're no longer diabetic. You don't have to worry. We'll, we'll test you again when you're 50 years old. That, that was their exact words. I mm, don't know but, if I would have said that, but okay. I, I believed it. Mm. And, you know, this was coming from my endocrinologist at the time. I believed it and I blissfully went on um, and just this year I spent three weeks in hospital, two of those weeks was on insulin because my type two had come back Mm. and fast drag made me go to the emergency and my wife came with me and, and they tested my blood sugar and they actually couldn't get a reading. It was that high. Mm. And when they tested my urine, they said it was, pretty much just glucose that was coming out and you know I was really sick okay so yeah you've been recommended so it's been recommended that I have um a bypass or something Mm. to to help with the the diabetes yep um so it's certainly something that I'm but you've but you've always said that you would prefer a switch yeah yeah Mm. I always thought that a switch would be better but I couldn't find anyone at the time that would even do a switch so could um, i ask you why you I think the switch is better just really i guess from what i've been told mm-hmm. um but i haven't really seen any evidence so i guess i'm just going along with what people say um mm-hmm. i think um of the bigger bypasses. So I guess the first tier operations are like, hopefully not anymore, the gastric band, the sleeve, and like a a single anastomosis gastric bypass. They're usually your first tier. Um, And then your second tier would be your revision room wide gastric bypass. Sometimes it's appropriate to do a single anastomosis gastric bypass after a sleeve. And then you have your bigger bypasses like your um, your SETIs and um, the switches. So for me, I think if you're diabetic and you're profoundly uh, diabetic to the point where your pancreas function is starting to suffer, so like you're on insulin, then you have to ask yourself when you bypass a patient with a regular bypass, what that's going to do to their glucose control, it'll be very erratic. It'll be like this, unless the patient is very, very good with their intake. And that can be very hard, um, I think. 
like for us, like we, um, for our patients, we try and put them on continuous glucose monitors when they're transitioning from their clear to their free fluids. And we ask them to wave each time that they, that they eat and drink, um, because it is very hard to not give them dumping syndrome, which is again, an antiquated term, by the way, it's reactive hypoglycemia to the diet that you're having based on the anatomy that you have, which you know about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's very hard to do that and maintain euglycemia. So not too far the other way. So a study, single anastomosis duodenal ileal bypass would allow you to be bypassed, but because the pylorus is there, it is controlling how much liquid and fluid is coming through and that will reduce the dumping. And I think because this is a newer operation, the data is starting to come out, certainly at the last conference, because the entire practice went to ANSMOS, so the dietitians, the psychologists, myself, my uh, bariatric physician, Dr. Kirk, who is my surgical assistant as well. Like we were sitting through um, ANSMOS and listening to the new um, advice and the new data. And it's certainly quite compelling like euglycemia is better with um, with the SETI than with the RU. And yeah. in previous um, yeah. conferences, lots of American surgeons say that they struggle with their patients going, going crazy because of the dumping. So mm. that's why I'm interested yeah, in that. Um, yeah. Dr. Rao, Ravi Rao, out, an, out in yes. Earth, he does that. So it could be... Mm be something you could look into i mean the reactive hypoglycemia is something that kicked off when i was about two years post mm. and um i've i've actually had smashed teeth from it you know like passing out um gosh all those all, all those kinds of things it's it's quite good now but i'm and i'm i'm five years post room why um and i did have a lap band prior to mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. so uh, it was it was just what was you know what was suggested for me mm. and i'm uh, i am very very happy with, with my outcome the only thing has been the reactive hyperglycemia and i think the hardest part for me was mentally doing the shift towards having um small very frequent meals because i i'd been very very good I had stuck with my three meals a day. I didn't snack in between all of those things. And then when I hit that two year mark, I was suddenly having very, very, very low blood sugar. Mm. Um, You know, in the twos, sometimes as low as one and a half. So yeah, so that that's when I had to start eating more. And then that that did things to my head because oh my gosh, now I'm eating all the time. So it's hard. It's been it's been a definite journey <laughs> that part. It's yeah. it's definitely yeah, and, and not having the support. Yeah, mm. and that's where it would be different is having that that um, yeah, support. Everyone support. sort of mm. in the in the one organization, just understanding what you're going through mm. and, and being open because it can be really hard to explain to you know a new GP or something even what reactive hypoglycemia. Oh my God. Hypo- hypoglycemia don't get is. me started. 
about my bariatric oh, seeing a new GP. Do not get me started, honestly. Yeah. I mean, last time I went to hospital, I had to explain to them what, what reactive hypoglycemia is. So disappointing. Some, it's a lot, you know. You have surgery, um, you change the way you eat, and then you come to the realization that anything in a packet could potentially give you dumping syndrome, you know? Yes, very, very much so. I've actually had to yeah, sit down yeah, and I'll ask my patients, what exactly, exactly what did you eat? And then we will look at the thing and we'll look at the back. And then we're together seeing that is too much carbohydrate in total. That is too much sugar in total. Mm. This is what you should be aiming for. And then that's the thing that maybe a lot of our patients don't do. Like they don't read the labels and they're not prescriptive in their diet. Like we don't, we tell patients you can have things in moderation, otherwise you're going to be sick, but you do have to read the label once you have a bypass. Actually sleep yeah. patients dump as well. So it's, it's not very, it's not very different. Thing to navigate. Um, do, does your dietitian help? your patients with that sort of thing? Yes, they do. But, um, and we're having more and more conversations about this. And this is a, a little bit of a tricky um, yeah. topic to navigate because there, and what I'm going to say is controversial. I'm going to put it out there, but there has been, that's fine. There have been publications as well, looking into patients living with obesity and their executive functioning and comparing that to patients who have a normal BMI and how that's different. Now, if you take a sicker pers a person, in my opinion, then not going to have enough bandwidth to do all the extra stuff, in my opinion. If, they, if you have to manage yeah. um, being diabetic, being hypertensive, being all the other things that can come with living with obesity, then you're not going to have all the extra time and capacity to have the executive functioning with regards to health literacy, like looking at packets and making choices and things like that. I think that's what the papers are trying to say, but even some doctors are getting upset who also live with obesity saying, are you trying to say that I'm stupid? I'm like, no one's saying that. We're just saying that we, this is an observation. So I'm trying to speak to my dietitians and I've had several conversations with them. Obviously, this is not something I realized like yesterday, but with regards to this, it's repetition, having simple messages, going through simple things with our patients, they will get it. It just takes time. Mm. Yeah. So and it, it yeah. doesn't matter how one, um, it doesn't matter like nurses or admin staff or whatever. It's the same. They're the same. Mm. Do you um, have basic amounts of protein, carbs and fats that, that you recommend to patients? Or is it very much a case by case, person by person? It is a very thing. case by case thing. So the dietitians actually yeah. calculate the lean body mass, yeah. make a recommendation. Um, they discuss with patients yeah. if they have particular aims. So if we have um, males or females who would like to maintain their lean body mass, then they calculate the protein ratio that would help support that. Yeah. We also do uh, full body composition scans, and that is helpful 
wow. to to advise the wow. patient. <laughs> you know, like this is how much visceral fat you've lost, even though the scale only moved two hundred grams, because like again. We have to clap oh, you yes. for doing that's, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> Yay! Because, well, especially when I had surgery, it only mattered what the scale said. You know, n none of my other health professionals cared what was going on except for what was on those scales. Oh, that's just fraught um, with I, danger, I honestly. Yeah, I really struggled because mm. I, I thought if the scales aren't moving, I'm failing at this. Mm -mm. And we and, see that we, we see that nearly on a daily basis mm. within um, with, within the community that we that we run. People posting things like, you know, the scales haven't moved. I'm failing. Mm. I've failed my sleeve. I failed my bypass, etc. And yet, their clothes might be fitting yeah more, more loosely really something's happening they're more active during the week they're, yeah you know out. but but the number hasn't changed That's right so i love that you do the body scans thank you yes. it's bloody expensive <laughs> it was eye-watering yes. and i was like oh will i ever recover oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but again it it helps support the patients and yeah. and it, it shows that you care about their mental health as well and and their outcome thank you yeah because mm. I, I know for me i lost so much muscle mass mm. but the scales were moving so i thought oh yeah it's all right because the scales are moving i didn't realize it was because yeah. i was losing all my muscle yeah um you know so i i think it's great to sort of integrate mm. all that into the the one into setting absolutely yeah it's bone mass too and that's so important for postmenopausal women like we do bone scans if we know that you know our patients are perimenopausal or menopausal and we're about to give them you know surgery we scan them and we we check everything in their bloods and if they need prolia or other injections or vitamin d we smash them with it smash them and you can see them you can see the bone mass <laughs> on the body composition scan yeah i'm just like i'm watching you you're not allowed oh, yeah. to drop any bone mass or anything like that because that's important amazing oh, goodness amazing hear hear that bariatric people hear that yeah <laughs> yeah it, well and it's it i think one of the things that i got excited about when when i i found you and was the you're in the ACT as well because we have a lot of members that will post going, are there any bariatric surgeons in the ACT? Oh. They just haven't really been able to find a whole lot. So now we can go, yes, I know someone. Yeah. And, you know, this is the team.
because for, for both Tash and I, it's very much, we, we've gone from, you know, oh, yeah, we, we need to find a good surgeon to we need to find a good team. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, right. we're quite happy as a clinic to take care of other surgeons, patients as well. So if they've had surgery elsewhere and they want to see our dietitians and our psychologists, I don't have an ego. I actually don't care. They just, just come, just come see them. We have bariatric GPs as well. Let us take care of you. That is brilliant. Yeah. So I can book in to see you. Absolutely. Demo. (laughs) Lincoln bio. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, and um, because I, I, well, I'm losing all my teeth from reflux. Um, did, did you, you got a sleeve, didn't like, you? I, I, yeah. yeah. And, and the hiatus hernia wasn't fixed when I had it. Like they just didn't do that then. And, okay. um, but I think it's more than just that because like I, I was in hospital two weeks ago. Um, I have chronic pain, so I was on a ketamine infusion for that. Yep. But I was just lying in bed one night eating some popcorn and one of my front teeth snapped in half and fell out. Um, so, yeah, I'm missing like half of one of my front teeth and I've got like I can feel the cavities and stuff and I know it's all from the, the reflux. Demo, why don't um, you walk in with us? I'm terrified of yeah or it could be it it could be a bone a bone thing as well i mean yeah you're you're, you're nearly yeah. 10 years post leave because yeah. i when i had my wisdom teeth removed many years ago um they put me under anesthetic i actually woke up during the procedure oh god um, in pain and i was screaming and so i i have a bit of trauma from dentists and so yeah. i know that i've suffered with this reflux so uh, but you know going to dentists can be a scary thing too yeah and if i had have known that the gastric sleeve would give me such bad reflux and what that would do to my teeth i would never have had the gastric sleeve well okay here it is here it is so besides the hiatus hernia and this is research coming out of monash so like wendy brown and that lot uh in melbourne were fantastic um she's looking into what happens when you turn a bag your your original stomach into a sleeve because that's not normal is it like that isn't normal no and you expect it to behave normally so are are our expectations unreasonable so she's been looking at the contractility the pressures that's very interesting yeah i thought that was fascinating and i read um as many of her papers as i could it turns out it's not just the hiatus hernia that gives you the reflux it's the contractility of the sleeve that gives you the reflux because it can misbehave and it's like milking a cow yeah well okay yeah that that actually makes so much sense, doesn't it? It does. Because yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know there there are nights I'll be I'll be lying there and I have stuff coming out my nose, you know, like mm. it's, and then it's in my lungs, you know. I know I'm coughing it up, and it takes hours to sort of for it to clear and everything mm. to settle down, and and 
it's really distressing because you know like you you're trying you're in the middle of a decent night's sleep if you ever get one yeah and then all of a sudden you're being woken up by this oh. burning um yeah and and that makes so much sense you know like truly wow. yeah and then um amazing if you're unlucky i guess then you see a surgeon and they'll say there's no hiatus hernia and there's nothing to fix and and i'm just like well it's a bit more than that like a hiatus hernia can make it worse but it's not the only cause of reflux the architecture of the sleeve and what it looks like as well is a huge thing like if it's if it's got a relative strict yeah. middle then you're going to have reflux too whether or not the contractility is normal Wow. Well, I've actually thought at times that I think um, the sleeve is a more drastic procedure mm -hmm. than bypass because, you know, we have people say, oh, you know, bypass is so drastic. And I think, oh, oh actually, I think the sleeve is, worse. is probably a bit more drastic. Yep. Because um, if, you're, if you're someone who's lived with obesity um, and if you believe the stats, which I do, um, the heavier you are, the more likely you are to have gastric cancer. And if you have the sleeve, then you're getting rid of your conduit. The thing that we were going to interpose, what yeah. we had to take out, is gone. So you'd have to have your colon in its place. That's I'm not such a huge fan of the sleeve, but wow. you know, some weight loss and some metabolic management is better than nothing. So for patients who can't cross that yes. that mental bridge, okay, we'll do what we can. And then we'll cross that bridge yeah, when we get yeah. there, you know, but I have had a patient like yeah. you, Demo, she had her yeah. surgery in New South Wales and the nuclear medicine tracer was coming out of her nose. And her surgeon said, you have no hiatus hernia. Wow. Mm. See, and that would be devastating because then you, you think you feel like you're being blamed for yes. it. Yes. Um, That's what he told her. You know, which is definitely what I've felt like at times. Yeah. This is my fault that it's happening or all, all these symptoms that I'm getting, it's just in my head. Nope. And, you know. So you said that that you like the complex uh -huh. cases. So I'm assuming that, that you in, that you then enjoy revisions. And yeah. Things. Half my practice Would that be accurate? is revision surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You can you, you can just definitely definitely hear that hear that coming through and mm. and the fact that that you um know about and can acknowledge that we can still have stomach acid coming out of our hundred percent you can. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, I know like I know for me, um, you know, I've I've, I've had bypass and and you can't um, have reflux after bypass. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, and that's we're, we're actually seeing a little bit of an increase in that um, on Bariatric Support Australia yeah. in our support group. Uh, people coming forward and saying, you know, I, I I had my I had my sleeve and then I went and I had my bypass, but I've still got reflux. Mm, that is interesting. So is there, is there um actually is there um research and evidence um around any mm. of that? 
definitely is. I think um, what is required are multiple tests after that. And I think that's where the wheels fall off yeah. a little bit because um, some of the tests that are yeah. good are not really readily available. For example, 24-hour pH monometry and impedance study is not easy to get into in the public system. You can just forget about it. The waitlist is like three years everywhere. I don't think it's an, like a unique problem to the ACT. It's just difficult to get. In the private, it's a bit quicker to get, but then you can only get the 24-hour manometry. And is that enough information? Whereas in uh, the States and in some private practices, they do um, a Bravo capsule, which is something we staple to your esophagus, and that stays in for three days. And it gives us a lot of information. And it, there isn't something sticking out of your yeah. nose, so you can eat normally and we can see what's happening with regards to what you're eating and the type of Gosh. activity that we can see. So there's, okay. there's and yeah. and do do we not have access to that? Um, the equipment is expensive. So do do we not have access to that in Australia? Um, there are a few wow. uh, Bravo capsule providers. I think there's one in Brisbane, and um, there's one of my projects as well. I don't want to do 24-hour manometry because my colleagues, I have I have someone I refer to here, and I don't want to take, you know. Like that's her bread and butter. So she can do that yeah. and I can do the Bravo capsule for people who need it. Yeah. So I'm thinking of doing that next year, hopefully. Yeah. My business manager slash husband is wow. killing himself, I'm sure, when he listens to yeah. <laughs> when he's listening to this, he's like, What? More things to buy? I'm like, oh crap. What? What are you doing? <laughs> Will you stop? <laughs> but it's so no, hard. I'm glad. I, I'm glad that uh, that someone's doing this. Yes, yeah, so I think yeah, it's, it's, it's you just, have to investigate it, it and the causes are many, many. Yeah, because it gives hope. I mean, I I have some really beautiful friends that now don't have stomachs at all because they had. Um, such terrible reflux and they've, they've been told that there was no other solution and they're still in pain. Oh. They're still having awful. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, uh, and what, what I think we, we probably find a lot is that people just lose hope. Yeah. After, after being in pain, after, having the sleeve and then the bypass and they've still got reflux. So they figure, oh, well, there's nothing more to be done. And they just give up. Yeah. And it's, it's so sad because then, then we do see those, you know, the terrible outcomes from reflux where they're, where it's, it's in their lungs and where, you know, they've, their teeth are decaying and all of those sorts of things. So it's really yeah. heartening to know that, that there are tests that, that could be available yeah. that might tell more of a story so that, Absolutely. So that the information can at least be obtained by the surgeons. Well, yeah. well, yeah, I guess mm. the information is one thing. And as you're right, the interpretation is another thing, I guess. So you'd have to have a surgeon who is really interested in complex revisional work to be able to help you. And patients don't know that. Mm. They just go to they just go to whoever has been recommended or has good reviews and that that surgeon may not have an interest in that or have the understanding to help you. A couple of quick questions before we finish. Okay. Um, 
What is your favorite way to spend time off? Oh my gosh, I'm going, my nerdness is going to come out now. Um, I love, um, I, like <laughs> I love Lego and particularly I love, <laughs> I, I love, um, Lego Technic. So I like making, um, pneumatic doors and trap doors and booby traps and, and things like that. So I have been, <laughs> I love it. Great. So I've been, <laughs> I've been, um, investing a lot of, and I buy secondhand Lego as well. So I don't buy, you know, new sets. Sometimes I do buy a new set, but I buy a lot of secondhand from Facebook marketplace and things like that. And I sort, yes. I sort them according to color and function. And then I build stuff. It's so fun. And usually I have. That's what my wife does. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, she, she's asked for Lego for Christmas. Yeah. So, and, and she sits there throwing it all in. A, you know, it's just I like, have my oh little my tubs God. and this is all the grays, the blacks, yeah. the dark grays. The, yeah. So I love doing that. And usually my husband and I have um, some TV on the like in the background but it has to be specific tv so i'll watch my favorite sci-fi movies or we'll watch um well we're watching a little bit about um oxycontin um and the war on drugs yeah. um so we've been watching documentaries about that it's fascinating it is um next question mm. what superpower would you have if you could pick one Oh, I see. Well, um, it would be a better attention span. Besides, besides <laughs> being, you know, like surgeon extraordinaire, of course. <laughs> right. Um, no, like, like truly, 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 truly. I have ADHD, which is medicated, um, only the last two years. Yep. So I don't know how I you know, limped through life. But um, yeah, if I had a better attention span, it would make things a lot easier for me. So that would be the superpower I'd like. A lot easier? Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. Um, no, no. I want to oh. I, I know that one. Oh. What's your... What is it? One more. Okay. What's your favorite meal? What's your favorite meal? Like what... What do you love to eat? Oh, favorite food. my favorite food. Um, I grew up in Indonesia. So my, my dad is part Indonesian yeah. and, you know, by proxy I am. Um, and the years that I spent there, the food that I love the most is rice, the spiciest um, chili paste. It's called belacan and tofu mm. and tempeh. I know all of these things. Don't mean anything to you, but um, <laughs> to me, it is delicious. Tofu. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, I love it. Yes. 